0: Nightcaps of the Living Dead.
1: Candyman.
0: And welcome to season three. Gee, I don't want to say the movie that we are discussing because I've said this name four times and this will be my fifth time. I have messed up this intro and I do not want to conjure the dark spirit that is going to appear behind me. <laughs> what movie are we discussing today, Gee?
1: We are discussing Candyman 1992 and later on in the episode... Uh, We'll give a spoiler alert right before we dive into that, but we're also going to discuss Candyman 2021.
0: Yeah, so at the end of this episode, you're like, okay, I got my fill. I I saw what was about the OG. Cool. Then you can pause it, go see it, which you should. It's it's great. It's a great standalone, or you can double feature it. And I'm going to point out, the 1992 version is a magical 99 minutes, right? And I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh, give me that sweet 99. And then I saw that the new one, the 2021, it is 90, I think 91 minutes, 92. It is slightly shorter than the original, which already made me fall in love with it.
1: They work very well if you watch them back to back. Like yeah. a three-hour Like a double feature.
0: I That's yeah. how I watched it. I really enjoyed watching them back-to-back. Back. But yeah, 99 minutes and 91, guys. Um, so welcome to season three. We have been gone for a second. We've <laughs> been on a bit of a hiatus. Uh, Dr. G is now relocating from UNC. He's coming back to the Golden State.
1: Yes, I'm coming back, baby. He's coming back. I have coming back to me like Lindsay lohan um but <laughs> i am moving to northern california i got a job at santa clara university and i will be starting there in the fall as uh, assistant professor of narrative filmmaking so i'll be exclusively concentrating on making films so look out for my new movie next year oh. that i'll be working on
0: <laughs> that's fabulous
1: speaking of Jennifer has some news. The reason we've been on hiatus is because she's been doing things of her own. Oh, Tell us what you've been doing.
0: I love it. We like to introduce our bracks. <laughs> 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 um yes, so I it was my directorial debut for a horror short film called Totem Goat, which fabulous Dr. G produced and edited. And um yeah, this, this little weird film is getting into festivals, and which is so super exciting and so fun to meet other crazy cinephiles and other horror fanatics. So we just recently went to the Oregon Screams Festival in, in Oregon, um, and I can never say it. It's like the Dalles, the Dallies. It's where the Oregon Trail is. The
2: Dals, right? The Dalles.
0: So it was at Sunshine Mill Factory, which was so cool. They projected it on a screen outside of this like really old factory in a parking lot um so it's like a drive-in situation
1: before COVID, mm-hmm. they used to hold it um how many times a year It was it two, four oh, times yeah. a year yeah and so they reduced it to twice a year uh-huh. um this year and then instead of doing it in a movie theater because of COVID, they did it as a drive-in experience at this winery yeah at this mill it's like Think Twin Peaks, the, the mill of Twin Peaks that burns down. Think yeah. that setting. And then like the screen is on the mill itself. Mm-hmm. And then the cars are facing it. But then you go inside and you get to try some delicious wines from Oregon. Which it, really good Pinot Noirs. Oh, yeah.
0: Which like it's like this festival was catered for our personalities. It's like wine, horror movies, awesome people. Really cool experience. And we're looking forward to the next one. Um We are going to be at the Horror Hotel in Cleveland, Ohio that is happening in June. And then in July, we are doing Austin After Dark. And that's going to I know that's going to get crazy and weird. I love it. I'm really I'm looking forward to this summer of horror It's going to be so cool. Um, So I'm going to say his name a fifth time. We are discussing (laughs) Candyman. Okay, well, maybe if we
1: say the title of the episode, which is Candy Men, because we have the two Candy Men, there is not really saying it.
0: Okay, great. Is that
1: cheating? Can we do that? Can we say Candy Men, Candy Men? And no. then, it's, then that doesn't conjure well, Maybe the both spirit. of them
0: show up. Maybe both versions <laughs> show up behind you.
2: I don't. Oh. That's
1: true. So maybe we'll get both of them Jaya, Abdul Mateen Second and Tony Todd from the OG. Coming into our mid hours.
0: which that sounds very titillating. So hey, bring it boys Candyman <laughs> Candyman
1: <laughs> Candyman. Why
0: don't you tell me what you're drinking for this
2: episode? Yes,
1: I am having some La Marca Prosecco Because we're doing like a happy hour Spring afternoon situation, and then later on, I'll be having some Bellini. Oh. Be switching it
2: up. Is that sweet,
0: yes. Like candy. You're not really a candy person, are you? I'm not a candy person. No,
2: I yeah, hate. Yeah,
0: I don't like candy. I, we're cookie people, right? It's about the cookies. Yes. <laughs> so cookies, if it was Cookie man, anything
1: with chocolate, <laughs> Cookie Man, chocolate chip Cookie Man.
0: What if it was like um, Cookie yeah, Monster uh, as sexy Candy Man? That's <laughs> come on Sesame Street. That's a spoof waiting to happen. Um, so. Before, while we were catching up, I did an apple cider because it's it's like 3.30 in the afternoon over here for me. We're doing this via Zoom, so I'm like, oh, I, I just need to be light into here. So I thought, oh, candy, candy apple, apple cider, because I don't like sweet drinks, I don't know. Now I'm ready, I'm going to show you. My little shot of what? bourbon whiskey.
1: Is it sweet and honey and attracts the bees? <laughs>
0: I mean, the- it it's sweet and smoky. The, I mean, the reason why I'm drinking it is because I I want that te- that gravelly voice. I want the whiskey voice.
2: Oh, you want? To I want the say Tony my, Todd
0: voice. Be yes. my
2: victim. Be my victim. Be my victim.
0: Oh, well, see, okay. that's the cookie. That's the <laughs> Cookie Monster man voice.
1: Exactly. exactly. <laughs> we prefer cookies, people. We prefer cookies.
0: Candyman. This is easily one of the top 10 horror films, I believe, in in cinema. This came out in 1992, and I gotta say, 1992 was a year for cinema. To be alive and a moviegoer in 1992, I was going through the list of like, okay, not only do we have Candyman, which changed a lot of people's lives and set this whole new bar for horror, we have um, Bram Stoker's Dracula, came out a month Mm -hmm. after, a month after. Um, We have The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. We have Single White Female. (gasps) All these films. Um, And then we have... Basic
1: Instinct. Basic Instinct. Basic
0: Instinct came out in 92? Yes. God, so good. And then um, we also have... Just kind of a, a parallel to urban dramas. You know, we have Boys in the Hood came out in 91, I believe. But then um, we have New Jack City and
1: Juice. It's not the year that it was released, but it's the year that Silence of the Lambs won the Oscar, which is the first oh. time a horror film wins the Oscar for Best Picture. So that's significant for mm-hmm. horror as well. Mm-hmm. So I remember um, Silence came out in January 1991. But it was a it was the first time that an Oscar best picture winner came from the beginning of the year. Usually, the Oscar movies oh, come right. out at the end of the year. Yeah, you're right. And so, but but the Oscars were in 1992, mm-hmm. so it won the Oscar about a year and a half or a year and change later. Mm -hmm. So it's the year that horror became legit.
0: (laughs) Well, and it's also, as you and I have talked about, that um, was that your Tony Todd? Were you just doing Tony Todd right now? Yes, I was. That was was pretty good. Was it good? Was it good? I I liked it way better than mine. (laughs) A lot of people say that horror reflects the current times. And so what was happening in 91 to 92, which this episode is coming out at the end of April, 20 years ago this week, the Rodney King riots. Mm -hmm. And look where we are. We have not advanced much as a society, but um, the the amount of horror and and charged films that came that year reflected the upheaval and systemic racism that still is in effect today
1: adding to that parallel it's also the end of the Reagan era the beginning of the Clinton era mm-hmm. it was the f- it was the year of the election mm-hmm. of the Bill Clinton so a lot of a lot of that racial movement spurted by Rene King fueled the win of the Democrats mm-hmm. after the the Reagan years and in a weird sort of way we, we're in a parallel timeline because we just had george floyd in 2020 mm-hmm. and we had the election of joe biden after the trump years so in it we're in a weirdly similar yet different time and jordan peele and nia de costa decided to make another Candyman yeah. right after that so it's very similar to the climate well, not sim- different but it's
0: similar-esque right
1: to what was going on back then and, and it kind of shows us how little we've changed and maybe maybe how things have changed and how they've not.
0: It's no coincidence that Candyman, they never say his real name in the movie. His name is mm-hmm. never mentioned, which in the 2021 version, they actually, it's its a huge story point, you know, and also in the George Floyd, Black Lives Matter movement of say their names. Oh, they said my name. It's a very um, poignant political point. But in this original one, 1992, He's only referred to as Candyman. So his actual name is, it's Daniel, how do you say it?
1: Daniel Robite?
0: Daniel Robite. Um. And they discover his name and his complex backstory in the sequels, correct? It's never mentioned in the first.
1: Yes. So it was Bill Condon who directed Candyman, Farewell to the Flesh, Mm -hmm. um, who gave him the name Daniel Robite Robite. Okay. So the backstory is in the OG. So they do have the backstory about him falling Mm -hmm. in love with the, with the white woman. And he was a slave and he was an artist, that whole thing. But that's not in the original Clyde Barker novella Mm -hmm. on which all of this is based on, which is called the forbidden. Mm -hmm. And the most interesting bit about that is that, that Clyde Barker, who is a British horror novelist and author, there's nothing about race. Candyman is white in the story.
0: He's this monster. He's like, hairy, has like an eye socket or like an eye hanging from its socket. And he's he's a mess. He's more of like a kind of a Babadook figure mishmash shape.
1: The thing is that the Clyde Parker story themes of it's the same story as like Helen. She's doing her thesis and she's taking photographs of graffiti at this old decrepit estate in the UK. Mm -hmm. And that's where the whole Candyman legend comes from how fascinating that a movie that is uh, now associated with not only um 1982 and what happened with the ronnie king um riots but also george floyd the the new one all of this the entire basis of this has nothing to do with race Mm -hmm. it has only any only to do with urban development and urban legends Mm -hmm. so what's interesting is that the director of Candyman, the person who took the setting from the uk to chicago and turn it into a story about race is actually a British director himself. Mm -hmm. And so we have a British director adapting a British text, but setting it in Chicago and making it about race. And that's just fascinating when you think about it. And also Clyde Barker is a queer gay author Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and a lot of his um, stories and novellas have to do with sexuality. Mm -hmm. And so there's a kind of a confluence of different perspectives that come into this, and none of them come. I at least in the original, none of them come from an African, an actual African American perspective, or um, an American perspective for that matter. That's true. So okay. then, in the in the new one, it's kind of Jordan Peele and the other because taking this story and giving it their lens. Well, yeah, which right? I, I like so, that
0: the new term, which what we just discussed in American Psycho, the female gaze. There's the black gaze.
1: The oppositional gaze was um, a concept developed by bell hooks, who recently passed away. She's a scholar and a black female scholar, and Mm -hmm. she was the one who said that the 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 male gaze was insufficient, was specifically a white female gaze. So she started talking about the black female spectator and the oppositional gaze, which was a gaze that questions. Hmm. and is interrogates it's an interrogative case and i think we see this in the not to get ahead in the new movie with mm-hmm. the character of Berna um brianna
2: mm-hmm.
1: who was not named after brianna taylor but it's a coincidence did you look that up
0: no i did not know i thought it was specific i thought it was named no
1: after no it was a complete coincidence so the um. movie was written before the brianna taylor stuff happened so um. i mean it worked once. They made the movie, but right. I actually looked that up. I was like, "Wait, is this a reference to Brianna Taylor?" But it was not. It was just a coincidence.
0: Oh wow!
1: Um, huh. But what's interesting is that the first movie deals a lot with the female gaze, right? And in, mm-hmm. and you know, we have Virginia Madsen playing this kind of like Hitchcock blonde. Mm-hmm. This is also the year Basic Instinct, she has this kind of I... luminous, she gets that Madonna lighting on her eyes, oh, yeah. where the Candyman hypnotizes her.
2: That's true. And yeah. so I
1: was like, oh, uh, so the movie does have to do a lot with the male gaze, but then in this, there's a black man looking at her.
0: I remember seeing this as a teenager, and I feel like nobody sought this out as a race film, but it turned into a very astute commentary on on our society and race and um whenever i first saw this like a little a little white girl seeing this i went for kind of like the the bloody mary dare aspect of it Mm -hmm. they're like oh you say his name five times and like this happens i thought i was just going in for a jump scare thing and i i actually got this beautiful reflection of society and i lived in the deep south i i remember seeking a horrific jump scare moment and then going away being like I just saw a love story so we have Tony Todd as a black man black horror villain or hero could be construed as both I
1: have I have <laughs> thought about that actually in my yes. rewatch
0: and Helen you can, um, I remember they assigned to us in high school a Native Son, and I, I read Native Son after seeing Candyman. There's always this white woman in peril situation, and this dates all the way back to D.W. Griffith's The Birth of a Nation, the most racist movie in history. I'm not being overly woke here, it's a fucking fact. So you see this, and at first, like the rewatch, she just falls in love with him, and there's just this, we're... Looking at this interracial relationship, and in today's culture, it's no big thing. But I remember in the '90s, it was a little like I mean, didn't Jungle Fever come out around that time? I I was going to say, I think so.
1: I think so. I think this is the time of Jungle Fever. Jungle Fever came out the year before.
0: So these are all still.
1: It's the it's the it's the year of these things. The cusp. Yeah,
0: we're we're just starting to really. I mean, even though it's been decades, we're just really starting to talk about the integration of race in America. And and we look at Helen like it's a white protagonist, quote unquote, but I am rooting for her. I'm rooting for her, but I never for a second in the, the original watch and the rewatch, I never felt that she was in danger.
1: And I think it's a commentary on white privilege. Yes, so I absolutely. Think it's, so... I mean, I was gonna get into this later, <laughs> but maybe we set it up.
2: Oh, yeah. But
1: in the in the rewatch, I really got the sense that it's the the movie's flipping the script and mm-hmm. saying the, the 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 villain is not Candyman. The villain right. is Helen. Is it's she is can she's Candy Woman. Yes,
2: yes. At
1: the end of the day, in this movie, you can interpret this movie as Candyman not being real at all and being just a figment of her imagination of her research. And the, really, she's the murderer and she killed everyone, and yeah, that's it. There could. is no Candyman. It's it's Candy Woman and it's her. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's what the movie, and then she becomes legend, right, at the mm-hmm. end. So I thought it was so interesting. Same thing. You never think she's in danger. And in fact, it's all about her being accused of committing these crimes, her being committed. And so it conflates the reversal of the scripts of the female victim, like you said, going back to. Uh, birth of an Asia, but also, like her inflicting violence in this community by showing up there and and using it as her as her kind of object mm-hmm. as her research, mm-hmm. objectifying it through her academic research.
0: It's no coincidence that when they're opening, they okay, you have the overhead drone shot of Chicago. Yes, the
1: overhead shot. Well, there were not drone shots because there were no drones. Oh, that's that true. Side. That's true. Okay. I actually wrote it down. <laughs> this is a helicopter shot. A classic.
0: Helicopter Helicopter
1: shot. And it's not a drone Um,
2: shot.
1: It's not a drone shot. There were no drones in 1992 And I these are iconic, right? And so in the 2021, Nia De Costa does the reverse, right? So she does things that are looking up. Mm -hmm. And the whole movie starts with like mirrored image of the logos of the company. So it's all reverse. Everything Mm -hmm. is Mm reverse. I thought it was really cool as a setup because of the mirror Mm -hmm. candyman thing. So it starts with these overhead shots and the flow of traffic in Chicago, right? And with the music by Philip Glass.
0: Philip Glass. Okay, second for this this score. I have a question for you. Philip Glass, he has chorus, organ, piano, and a glockenspiel. Oh, shit. I
1: don't know what a
0: glockenspiel is.
1: I don't Um, know, but I like it. (laughs) But you like it.
0: So, gee. Here is a question for the ages. I okay. want you to tell me, I want you to come back with us. Are you more of a fan of Candyman by Philip Glass or Angelo Badalamenti*, <gasps> my fave? Which one? Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors.
1: Oh shit, I knew you were gonna do that. Oh my God. Um,
0: Cause that's fuck. pretty, pretty great. It's a great soundtrack. It's battle of the They're soundtracks. They're both
1: great soundtracks. Because they create this dissonance in a way.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that this and, and one of them is, you know, of course, about dreams and being institutionalized. And there's connecting themes because everyone, all these kids in Dimension 3 get institutionalized against their will,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? Because they're going to commit suicide. They're like on suicide watch.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then Helen gets institutionalized and is dealing with people not believing in in a way, I actually wrote down that Candyman was very much a Wes Craven type yeah. film, and I saw Candyman never is believing the
0: minority. <laughs> exactly,
1: exactly. And so there is a, elements of of Wes Craven's New Nightmare, which came out a few years later. I actually think this was an influence on Craven, mm. Um, mm. but also going back to the franchise, which Wes Craven wrote Nightmare on Street three, and the idea of of the people who are being institutionalized and they're not, they're not believing in them and what they're seeing. Mm -hmm. Right. So Patricia Kett's character in Emerald Street three is very much like Helen in this, even though Helen is a grown woman and a graduate student, Mm -hmm. but there's parallels. So I'm fascinated that you made the connection between the music as well. I can't choose. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, these two are two of my favorite soundtracks. I actually owned the CDs back then when CDs were starting both of these that you just it is
0: it is a hard choice but i'm gonna say i mean it's if they're both so good i i'm gonna say out of favoritism angelo just because i write to all of his like twin peaks scenarios but um i'm honestly gonna say i like angelo's better only because philip glass to this day talks about candy man he's like eh I feel like it was it was kind of like a slasher flick. And oh, he's a
1: snob he's about a little, it. He's Ooh. a little snobby
0: about it. He's like, oh, I'm, I'm glad it did well. I'm glad people like it. I, I collect the checks. He kind of brushes it off. And I don't know if he's being humble or if he doesn't really believe. I, I don't know. I don't know.
1: Weird, you just mentioned that you write to Angelo. I have actually written to Philip Glass's The Hours soundtrack. Oh,
0: and The Hours is a very good soundtrack.
1: So they're hmm. both soundtracks to write by. All right, you you have Glass,
0: and I'll have Angelo. How about that?
1: (laughs) Yes, let's do it.
0: So um, we have that beautiful helicopter shot. We have the score by Philip Glass. And it is no coincidence that... The first thing that's pretty much said, they're talking about urban legends, urban folklore, and they're talking mm-hmm. about the alligators in the sewer, but they make a very interesting observation. They are albino alligators in the sewer, yes. which that was never a thing. And I was like, oh, that is that is a very specific uh, characterization. So um, immediately we're getting into the modern oral folklore that will set up the story and as a continuous theme through the rest of the franchise.
1: When I see this overhead shot, I mean, you immediately think of the veins of the city. It's like veins flowing. Oh, that's poetic. And
0: are you Candyman?
1: Um, <laughs> I am. <have> the ve- <laughs> I the bleed
0: veins. I believe for of the you, city. the veins of Chicago.
1: And also the very well-known or segregation of Chicago. Chicago is one of those most very segregated cities where it's the South Side is where the the ghetto is where the black people live, and then the north side is the white side. So, I think showing the kind of freeway, it's kind of saying the, how one thing flows from one end to the other. So, oh. the, the urban legend flows from the south side to the north side. And so, you know, in a way, Virginia mattson is like, a stuffy academic graduate student. And she's kind of going down to the south side to do her research. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like an anthropology, but it's all in one city.
0: But she is she the, albi- not, the albino alligator in the sewer? She, she's the she albino
1: is? alligator showing up in the south side of Chicago. Um, so, and then there, here's where Cabrini Green comes in. And one of the things that I noticed in the movie, throughout the movie, they make a really good point when you're in Kabrini Green, to show the Hancock building. They keep showing that's over there, downtown Chicago, and then we're here in the Mm, project. The POV. they keep making that contrast, and I think that connects with that kind of overhead.
0: I want to point out Virginia Madsen, sister of my beloved Michael Michael Madsen. (laughs) My love. (laughs) I love him so much. What are the odds, G? Like, seriously, what are the odds that a brother and a sister have their their moment, like they were, I mean, yeah, they've been kicking around and bit parts for a while, but both she and he became famous in 1992. She like hit the ground running with this movie and Michael Mm -hmm. Madsen was in Reservoir Dogs. Same year.
1: Oh shit! I didn't right? even realize. Wait, rest of our docs came it was out in, in ninety two. Well, it was such a good Did year. Everything. Wayne,
0: in Wayne's World and Captain Ron as well in ninety two. Oh my god! I'm telling you, ninety two <laughs> was amazing. But and
1: I saw all of these movies in the movie theater. That's yeah. just so wild. I went a lot that year to the movies. You know, 90s, you're fifteen. Oh. You can go by yourself. Um, and I went to some crappy wow. theaters in
0: Georgia. Like, remember back in the day, there was like the two dollar theaters, and it wasn't like old movies. It was a movie that played maybe six months ago. And You're like, oh, I can't afford, you know, going to the real movie theater. I got to go to the two dollar. I thought it was crazy. Jack wasn't very impressed, but I'm like,
1: it's
0: two siblings, the Madsons. They're the, the Madsons. It's like
1: they're <laughs> they're the Jake and Maggie Gillenhall of the '90s,
0: <laughs> <laughs> with way better eyes <laughs> than have those crazy bug eyes coming at you. <laughs>
1: Because immediately, like, when you, you're introduced to Virginia, and she's the lead, right? Mm-hmm. And she's a white woman academic. So she's dealing with her kind of toxic masculine world, where it's like a men's world, and women's voices are not heard. But then she has Cassie Lemons, who we know from...
0: <gasps> Silence of the Lambs.
1: Exactly, who came out just a year before. So Cassie Lemons had a moment yeah. here in these she had- two movies. Um, She was the black best friend to both Jodie Foster and Virginia Madsen so she plays kind of the same role in my well, movie which movies. as
0: a rewatch frustrated me so greatly because okay I had some deja vu rewatching this and taking notes because I'm going oh didn't we have a moment with Cassie Lemons like we love her so much and I remember we gushed over her and we're like oh and, we, and
1: she was the girlfriend yeah she was remember the we had the, a theory the pseudo girlfriend <laughs> the of holistic. Jodie
0: Foster yes, yes. And, and I was l- looking into that in this watch too I'm like is she like is she a uh, Virginia's are they like a couple like what's
1: happening? I thought it was like, oh, it's interesting. And this this is something that was happening in the nineties where there's these black best friends. They have better roles. So at least they're getting roles, right? Mm. So it's getting a little bit better. And it always reminds me of, of screen two where we have Jada Pinkett commenting on the exclusion of african-americans in horror films the beginning of the movie then she gets killed her and her boyfriend get killed and then the movie has a black best friend which is elise neal i think is her name who is Mm -hmm. in a tv show nowadays but i forget which one it is and she's neff campbell's black best friend in college Mm because there's no black people in the first movie right Mm -hmm. it's a a very white town so and this is 97 so that there's a there's a development of this trope and then, of course, when we have the the new one, there is basically no white people in the movie. Mm-hmm. It's, it's right. So black people can tell their own stories in yeah, horror. Now, it was in- Thanks. Thank you, Jordan Peel.
0: <laughs> it was amazing seeing um a black protagonist because okay, here we go with the original where it's about it's it's a love story. And it is about a black man who can be a hero or anti-hero, depending which. You and I also kind of agree with the Virginia Madsons for the white devil in this. Like, we can get there mm-hmm. with that. And then it kind of the sequels which we will breeze over later but the sequels is just like him chasing around a bunch of white ladies like it doesn't make any Mm -hmm. sense there's no commentary on race really it's just like oh you guys expected this now here's this chick from baywatch she's gonna like chase after her and lust after her and it just made no sense
1: okay so jumping back into the og so she is in a relationship her husband is a professor and she's just a graduate student so you can already infer that this is the student who fell in love with her old, old professor and they got married and then eventually later on in the movie she gets replaced by a younger student right mm-hmm. the new squeeze of the husband of trevor yes, trevor um who is so gross <laughs> <laughs> because the movie skirts the line between being a researcher and an academic and being an artist right so because the mm. is an artist yes right he was that's when we find out his backstory and so the second movie is much more about the art world Mm -hmm. so i thought it was interesting this kind of flipping of the mirror of the mirror image from the person that's researching art and the person who's actually doing the art Mm -hmm. i thought that that depiction kind of personally connected with me because i've been in both worlds and i very much view one as very toxic Mm. But there's toxicity in both worlds, There's both, yeah, yeah. I thought it was interesting that it also represents the person intruding into the other worlds, like being like Virginia Madsen as an academic, taking on black culture as a subject.
0: Virginia's like typing on her IBM computer. It's like the horrible blue screen with the white text, and it makes me scream in my head already. That's already a scary moment. So she's already there doing her research. And then it, it kills me. Um, there is a, a black woman cleaning the room, and she's, you know, she overhears Virginia Madsen. Talking about Candyman to her recorder, and she's like, "Oh, I know this story," and it's just like again showing that Virginia didn't really have to go anywhere to do this. It's just kind of like, "Oh, this just fell in my lap." Okay, <laughs> like the Scarlet O'Hara thing that I just detest. So she turns to her. She's like, "Tell me about Candyman," and then she tells the backstory. So the janitor sits down and talks about, you know, there's an urban legend. It's kind of like disgust of, "Hey, you know." he's haunting this area in the projects, he killed a kid, I know somebody, and then Virginia Madison's like, oh, well, I would love to talk to your friend. We as a viewer expect her to go down the journey of like, okay, I'm gonna be a reporter, I'm gonna go find her friend. It's a shocking twist of storytelling and very interesting remarks on class, classism. She goes outside the hallway And she's like, hey, this lady wants to talk to you. And then her friend that this thing happened to is also cleaning the halls. She tells her the description of the murder. And so then that's when Bernadette and Virginia slash Helen, they're drinking wine in the apartment and they kind of like go to the medicine chest and they're trying to debunk the theory. And she's like, oh no, I read about this. You know, a killer can just go through the back of the medicine chest through the mirror. There's no mythical creature flying through this mirror and killing people she's like i'll prove it to you mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. that's when they go down to the projects
1: exactly and then also around that part of the movie when they show up at the projects there's this whole shtick about oh, oh they think we're cops
0: well, well, well before they go they say Candyman five times
1: <laughs> that's true in front of the mirror
0: yes in front of the mirror they say Candyman five times because they're like, "Oh, stop it! Stop it!" It's like the the bloody. Mary I thought they thing. only did
1: it. They only did it four times. They stopped oh. at five. No, they did the no. full five.
0: Cassie says it four times. Virginia says it five.
1: Oh, okay, they, they, she doesn't. Virginia last one goes. She does not believe because Cassie ain't gonna fuck believe. with that.
0: She's like, no, I, I'm <laughs> gonna be safe. No, so Virginia says it five times. Then they go.
1: So then, when they go into the projects, there's this whole thing about. Everyone thinking that they're cops. Oh, they think we're cops, and da 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 da. Yeah, like, the five the O is here. Yeah, yeah, and and also I love how the cinematography and the production design kind of makes a parallel. I mean, she makes this comment between the building where mm-hmm. she lives mm-hmm. and how it's the same architecture because it belongs to the same kind of thing, right? Cabrini Green, and so the the whole mirror cabinet, mirror medicine cabinet thing is parallel, and then they do the same shots also making the comments we were just talking about the classified that the buildings are the same what's different is the circumstances and the people who live in them and of course the poverty versus the affluence mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. but the structure is the same mm-hmm. and i think that's i think that's what connects to the, the Clyde Barker story everything together mm-hmm. is the idea that there's this thing that gets decrepit and like scary and poor and it's the same place where the rich people live. It's just painted white. Oh, painted yeah,
0: white. yeah.
1: Um, but everything's the same. They didn't even fix the the wall. To, it's the same push out here. Everything's uh, wait, exactly the same. You remember
0: living in WeHo apartments? Good God. You move in, they're like, eh, we just put you know the 18th coat of white shitty paint over this, and we didn't fix anything. Like There's cabinets that I'm like, this is split. This looks terrible. And they just painted over it.
1: I thought it was kind of interesting that the gentrification is equated with little whiteness the white apartment right so helen's apartment helen and trevor's apartment
2: mm-hmm.
1: but also it's like it covers the graffiti art helen is fascinated by the graffiti art and it's this idea like oh they just paint the, the art over with white and whereas where helen lives is very sterile there's nothing it's blankness
0: right yeah. right and so It kind of goes to a a Paltrow group lifestyle. Everything's pristine and white and, you know,
2: clean. And
1: kind of empty and vacuous and a shell, right? Yeah. And so these ideas, of course, come into play in in the later movie. But again, there's this idea of street art, graffiti, and then the academic and her camera. Mm-hmm. her photographer she's constantly taking pictures of the art right. and you know photography it's its own art form but i think in this movie photography is not an art form it's a form of documentation it's a form of just copying they introduce the racers wrapped in candy like she finds them in the in the pile but in the in the O.G. movie that's not addressed any further it's interesting it's just kind of a thing yeah did you notice that yeah i did too they, they, they pick it up jordan peele and nia de costa pick it up hmm in the in the 2021 but here's when we're introduced to anne marie and baby anthony because she's in a, she also has a name tag and i think she's probably a waitress but it's the idea that again blue collar jobs black people blue collar jobs always wear their names that's mm-hmm. a tag, right? right? So whether you're working as a waitress or a janitor, you have to be identified. I, I to had to,
0: it. I had to wear one of those all the time at my waitressing job, and I would change the name. There's that awesome shot of her coming out of his mouth,
2: because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. mouths
0: are such a central theme in the movie, like kissing and romance, and then the bees later. But it's just, a mouths are very important. Also, um, what we choose to say, what we choose to not say what we keep to ourselves. So as you have Candy Man's face graffitied on the wall and she's taking pictures and crawls through the mouth and it's such a beautiful haunting shot. And in Macon, Georgia, I don't know if I said this on the Silence of the Lambs podcast, but when I saw this movie, there is an old kind of decrepit plantation looking house Ooh. at the end of the street and I was dared to go inside of it. So I go in, and I was scared as shit. Like, I was so, so scared. But I love horror movies, have always loved them. I'm like, okay, maybe this will prove his inspiration for something. I can write about this later. And I wish I had a camera, a la Helen. I really wish so I could document this, because I feel like nobody will believe me. But there was a spray-painted graffiti mural of Candyman, and it was done extremely well. (gasps) And it had his hook, and I freaked out i saw it and i screamed and ran were out
1: inside the movie yes it was like
0: meta upon meta i was just like i screamed and i ran down the street and i never went in there again but oh
1: <laughs> my god yeah and and so we have helen who is obsessed with true crime right in a right. way she's gonna debunk the theories mm-hmm. i want to talk about helen's eyes
2: Helen's eyes
1: because she gets this this lighting on her eyes and she's like she's got
2: Betty Davis eyes
1: <laughs> like every time he's being hypnotized by her she like it's almost it represents Dracula. her gaze yeah but also her it's is it her who's hypnotizing or capturing or dominating or is it her who's no, being hypnotized by I him I feel that so he both.
0: is hypnotizing her because we're not at the voiceover quite yet But it's like a foreshadowing to the voiceover, and and Bella Lugosi's Dracula. That's when they do that whole
2: horizontal
0: light on top of the eyes, and it's more of him of like I'm entrancing you, and they do it on her in this version.
1: But that's what I'm saying. In this rewatch, I interpret it. It's all her. She's Candyman. She's Dracula. She is her. The lighting is on her eyes. Mm -hmm. She, her eyes are the hypnotizing eyes, not the hypnotized. So she is not the victim. She's the aggressor. Mm -hmm. There's, they play with this because they're playing with what we know from cinema, right? Like Mm -hmm. Dracula. And at the end of the day, the voiceover, all the Tony Todd, these are all inside her mind. Mm -hmm. This is the way I interpreted the movie. It's, it's her obsession with the story become turns her into the story
0: but no gee as um, a white woman clearly she's the hero no <laughs> it's him it's the it, he's <laughs> entrancing heart no i totally completely agree and that's like the brilliance of this movie they're they're making your root for the wrong character
1: really and then you hear what happened right so then when she's being told this yes this is the scene oh my god i'm talking about the exact same thing the fucking asshole academic dinner when the asshole academic <laughs> with the long hair is telling her the story of candy man he's so smug you go into the betty davis bella lugosi eyes mm-hmm. and then you hear the sounds of the story yeah it's almost like she's internalizing what mm-hmm. she's hearing and mm-hmm. she's seeing it she's like a filmmaker she's watching a movie it's almost like the, the light in her eyes is the film projecting on her eyes and she's seeing the backstory
0: she's romanticizing it when what he's saying is actually very cruel but from okay and and this is, Reinforcing oral storytelling—that—that that is the entire theme of this piece, and it goes from—I um, want to say, like it's—it's it's back in the civil, like pre-civil war, of African American oral storytelling was a necessity because if their masters let them read or let them write, they feared a rebellion. They feared that they would be overtaken and overpowered. Which, yeah, like they were trying to purposely stunt them. So. The storytelling is a survival skill. At the end of the day, Candyman was, like his father was an entrepreneur, and then he was like a shoemaker or something, right? He made like Mm -hmm. leather for Civil War soldiers or something like that. And then Candyman himself was an artist, this beautiful artist, and he was commissioned by the wealthy white people, and as story goes, he fell in love. And he was
1: educated in the best
2: schools. Yeah, and very eloquent.
0: Yes, and as we hear from Tony Todd later on down the line, I'm like, oh, read me. Read me to sleep. Like, his voice is just so soothing and beautiful. So, he's painting a little rich white lady. They fall in love. I think she gets pregnant. I'm not sure if that's even a big deal story. Yeah, she gets pregnant.
1: She, She gets pregnant, but I don't I don't think the child is born or something. Yes. This is something that the sequels play with. Right.
0: Yes. And, and the father freaks out. A lynching occurs. I think the, the mob cuts off his, his artistic hand. That's the whole thing. Like they cut off the yes. hand that he paints with. And then there's a nearby hive. And they douse him with honey. And the bees come and he's stung to death. So he's already brutally killed before they throw his body onto the pyre. Like he's brutally murdered and lynched and then they burn his body for good measure.
1: Speaking of this, right, as she, so she's seeing the story in her mind of the stuffy academic, and she's not afraid to kind of intrude in this world. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I noticed that every time she takes a, a photograph and there's a flash, right, so the, the, the movie has a flash, there's also a cut mm. in the film. Oh, that's an interesting, so, I didn't get
0: that. Interesting. Okay. And it's,
1: it's, to me, I interpreted it, it's very scary and jarring. Huh. And, again, it, there's a violence to her photography. That's It's almost like psycho knife-cutting type edits.
0: And it does right? echo the, the uh, Silence of the Lambs, the end scene. With, yes. Oh, interesting. Whoosh, yeah. Whoosh. With the night cam and, so, and the bing. Yeah, okay.
1: So, and, but then there's cuts. And then when she goes into that bathroom, right, when she's, like, taking pictures and, uh-huh. like, it's all... And, and again, it's like she's ripping through. It's like there's, she's committing violence by taking pictures mm-hmm. and documenting. Um, and this is when she finally gets attacked, right? When she goes, this is right after that, when she goes into the bathroom. The kid tells her, Jake says, don't go in there. And she goes in there and she gets attacked and into that black man tells her looking for a candy man bitch and then she gets <laughs> punched in the face
0: yeah which and so know um, the kid the cute kid jake um that is dewan guy he was discovered by john singleton
1: one of the questions that i had about this sequence was she actually gets attacked by the black man and so we now get the cliched scene where mm-hmm. the black man beats the white woman
2: Mm-hmm
1: but in the same sequence, we see her, we see these cuts, these violence that she commits by objectifying the culture and all that. Mm. So I found that this scene to be like, oh, now we get the cliche after we get the reverse. So mm. I was wondering, how do we read this sequence now?
0: Oh Well, to me, I interpreted that as this is the urban legends for women. I mean, specifically white women of like, oh, you're going somewhere where you weren't supposed to go. You deserve it. And then I think it's also told as a storytelling device because later they do say like, oh, you know, a lot of a lot of black women go missing all the time, but one white woman gets beat up in the projects. Oh, it's on shutdown.
1: So it does exactly. show. And she says she says that actually. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, for some reason, when this scene happened, it brought me to like I remembered the Blind Side. Um, um, Sandra Bullock. This white savior women and how we've kind of like revisited like mm-hmm. movies like The Help, mm. more recent movies, The Help, The Blind Side, mm-hmm. Green Book. Movies where there's like a white savior trope and a white woman savior trope. Right, right, right. And how going back to 92 with this movie, this movie is fucking playing with this.
0: Yeah, Back and forth. Absolutely. In a
1: very smart way. Right. Way ahead of its time.
0: (laughs) Right. Absolutely. Also, did you know that Sandy was next in line if Virginia passed? She was going to be in it. Mm
1: -hmm. We're at the point in the movie where... Virginia Mason has been attacked, right? And then she gets taken to the hospital, and she has like her black eye. Oh, yeah. And then it heals very quickly, because immediately um, we get back to her beautiful Betty Davis eyes. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I noticed in this movie, and I think timing-wise, is around the same era. I noticed that Virginia Mason has a very '80s Madonna vibe.
0: Oh, she does. And yeah. it was
1: like. Wait a minute. This whole movie has a lot of like a pressure video imagery. Oh
0: shit. Okay, I see that. <laughs> I absolutely see and that. And I was
1: like, and you know, the video is very much about racial issues in the sound. You got the Burning Cross as mm-hmm. the fact that the um the figure in the video who's I think he's like a he could be Jesus, but he's also like a black saint. Mm-hmm um so it's this whole sexual imagery with saintly figure there's all sorts of things that madonna is playing with in that video right that's also um, how she got
0: out of her pepsi contract right
1: She's <laughs> burning crosses
0: <laughs> in the field she's like pay me pay me you're gonna be upset like this <laughs> <laughs> and they just paid her and they never showed it again
1: um so here we have a movie that's dealing with a similar love story Right. And then it's just start thinking, oh, and this is again what had me thinking about the flipping of the script. So Candyman, we think he's the Freddy Krueger villain, right? With the, I mean, the Freddy Krueger connection is crazy because he has a hook instead of fingernails, right? And we know Freddy Krueger from the 80s and all the sequels and all that. Mm -hmm. But instead, what if we read Candyman as the figure from Madonna's video and he's more like, Christ or a saint who sacrificed himself, mm. who was killed by his community, mm. right, and mm-hmm. then comes back, right, rises from the grave, comes back later, and he's actually a figure of love, giving a message oh. of love, which is supposed to be what Jesus Christ is supposed to do. Once you apply this. Madonna, Mary Lambert, like a prayer video. I love that
0: you just bring it back to Madonna.
2: <laughs> yes, yeah, so I was like, no, but I think this is narrated, number one very, fan. very, very.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but this is actually, I think, very much directly referenced in this video. Uh-huh. I think um, the, the Bernard Rose is using... This is the controversy in, in, in viewing it into his film and mm-hmm. I think he's they're styling Virginia to look like Madonna also speaking of these like violent flashes from the camera that are also cuts mm-hmm. another element that they add in the next sequence where she's taking pictures is they put the sound effect of shots fired.
0: Oh, yes, so you're right, yeah.
1: So now you have the the, the the flash, which is disruptive, you have the cut, and then you also have the sound mm. of being mm. shot, so it's like a knife and a shot, it's triple violent, Yeah, right? Um, Beautiful
0: sound mixing. We go back to the projects, and the kid tells her straight up like, hey, I'm not snitching, I didn't see anything, and she wants answers about this assault that happened to her. Um, and
1: but this is when she's taking the pictures that sound like bullets
2: yes
0: so she's taking pictures she goes to her car guys let's talk about this this is the best i'm getting chills thinking about this It is the best scene to me i mean there's so many good scenes in this movie but here we've had tony todd as a voiceover purring to us the entire time and, and I remember what you told me, didn't you say like in film school that um, th- there's a misconception that bad storytelling is told through voiceover that you should show and mm-hmm. not tell or whatnot. And I disagree with that on a few levels, but-
1: Well, it's, the idea is that it, it could be a crutch. You have to use it correctly. Usually the best voiceover is not, it's one that's part of the storytelling and not re- replacing. Gotcha. Right, that it's playing with it. Because, you know, I think I said, Martin Scorsese uses voiceover a lot very wonderfully in like, right. Casino and God, Goodfellas and right. stuff like that. So when you do it, you, you got to do it right. You can't just use it to explain. It has to be part of the contrast mm. that you're trying to make. Or
0: Gotcha. It has like, to move all the action forward, not just to describe what you're saying, right?
1: Exactly. It has to play against the image. That works.
0: So, Does that make sense? No, no, totally. Mm-hmm. And so Tony Todd... We hear him, he's purring. Once in, again, it's going into the theme of oral storytelling. We hear his beautiful voice. And I, and I saw in interviews, he was saying, like, he already has this really deep register. He practiced to make it even deeper. He was just like, I need to be deeper, more growly about this. It is foreshadowing of he's coming. He's coming. Like, you know, we hear like mm-hmm. bits and pieces until we get to this garage scene. So before we see him, we have already constructed in our minds what we think we're going to see. Like, who are we going to form in our heads? and going with what you're saying about Helen being the bad. It's
1: just like Helen. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Helen is constructing everything in her head and we're the audience. We're constructing it with her. So yes, keep going. So
0: then we get this amazing Helen. I can't do his voice. You're better at it. You're better at it. But it's like, Helen, Helen, (laughs) (laughs) I can't do it. Oh, goddamn. So Tony Todd has been in our head and our ears this entire time. And then the camera has this masterful shot. This is his intro shot. He is GQing it. He is just like this wide shot of him in this gorgeous coat, the scarf, the shoes. And we see his face, like he has cheekbone structure that will not quit. And he comes towards her just very slowly. It's this entire Dracula trance. And when I watched Mm. this as a preteen, I just thought, I'm seeing a slasher film, I'm seeing a scary entity. I never equated it to this rewatch of he is vampiric. And some people have um, compared him to to being like an upside down Frankenstein or whatnot. Like we are the society that made this monster. But (coughs) I feel that he is a vampire because not only is he meticulously well-dressed and also going into that trope. I mean, it's a stereotype that black men or black people as a whole dress well, like it it is a stereotype and I do agree with it. Like I feel like a lot of black people have great fucking style. So this goes into vampires being so eloquently dressed. They know how to seduce and and I'm not scared of him. I'm more intrigued by him.
1: Also the idea that, you know, her husband is not all that. So fascinatingly enough, this matches the same thing that happened with Bram Stoker's Dracula, right? So Mm. in the original novel, um, Dracula is this hideous figure. There's mm-hmm. nothing sexy about him. And through the years, through Bela Lugosi, yeah. which is referenced in this movie, he became this seductive, beautiful. And eventually from there we went to all the other incarnations where there's this element of seduction and sexuality. And I think it works doubly well that it's a racial thing because it's the vampire is not only black, which was not in the original story, but it's also... Sexy, and it represents her curiosity. Her curiosity as a researcher becomes her curiosity as a sexual woman.
0: So I have like the Dracula trance. Like one, he's confident as all fuck. He was just like, "I'm coming in for you, Helen," and he walks towards her. And the words that he says, he has his meat hook, so we know that there's a dangerous element. But he says, be my victim, I am the writing on the wall, the whisper in the classroom. We, we're getting into poetry, deep lyrics. And mm-hmm. to what you pointed out, like I mean, this is this is a month before Bram Stoker's Dracula. We are getting into a modern Shakespearean love. Um, and in interviews with both Virginia Madsen and Tony Todd, they both said that they read this and they're like, we're going to play these characters as, as if they're like star-crossed lovers. And so before production began, they took ballroom classes together. They went horseback riding together. They, they did all this oh. stuff. So they could be like this unified couple whenever the cameras started rolling.
1: But then she kind of blacks out and wakes up in a pool of blood in Emery's bathroom where we kind of realize that she's apparently butchered his dog and she attacks Anne-Marie with a, with a meat cleaver, mm-hmm. right? Trying to supposedly defend herself. Mm-hmm. So we now, what has been hinted at throughout them, just as uh, Candyman has been hinted at, and we finally see him revealed, We now are revealed as Helen as a potential, basically, aggressor and violent person who has committed all these things, right? And she gets arrested.
0: But I got to say, as a storytelling point, it is brutal. We have an animal death and a potential, like it puts the seed in your head of a baby death. Because we see Vanessa Williams
1: exactly guttural screaming.
0: like, what a performance. She is, like, thrusting herself at the baby crib. There is blood everywhere. you It's your imagination. It's like a Blair Witch kind of, um uh conclusion you in your head are imagining the worst case scenarios and very awful places that you didn't think that you were capable of going i'm like oh my god she slaughtered the baby
1: first you think she's been slaughtered yes then you're like wait a minute now the baby's been slaughtered is it her so you go from horror horror horror, the horror ping pongs you don't know what's real fascinating way and then she then there's that violence that she can when she hits her in the arm with a meat hook um, with the meat. hook.
0: Oh, no, no, no. It's with the cleaver,
1: the meat, the meat cleaver. Yes, she
0: hits her with a meat. And so
1: immediately she gets arrested. So she's the black man caught in the act of committing violence. All of a sudden we have this like horrific sequence where this woman cop asks her to remove her panty, her underwear. Right. Because there's been nothing really sexual
0: so far. There's all it's, it's been about love. And conditional love,
1: and she's being violated, you know, like, and she's in distress, and she's asking to basically make you know, just take all her clothes off in mm-hmm. the middle of a pool of blood. But it's by a female cop, so then the movie just really keeps like flipping and flipping and flipping. So it's like, wait well, a minute, well, now she's the to. victim. Honestly,
0: like, if you are, I mean, I do not know this, this is just everything that I've. I don't even feel like why why am I clarifying this? But I do know from TV that if you're incarcerated, you have to have a female cop to be like, Okay, take off your cop. clothes. Like <laughs> you have to. It's kinda of like standard procedural. But I do agree with you, it's a little jarring to see, um, and to, you know, maybe take it into another analytical level of like there's a woman and another woman and they're both like one's in distress and the other one is so numb to it, it feels inhumane.
1: Now all of a sudden our protagonist is potentially the perpetrator, the, the something that's been hinted at through her actions is now literally a person who's committed physical violence.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so then, then she has the sunglasses, mm-hmm. right? Remember, and it which it reminded me of Diabolique When do you remember Diablo League? Oh. where she's supposedly being punched by the, abused by her husband, and so she yeah. wears sunglasses. And this is what leads to the, but it's all fake, right? And this is what leads to them killing the husband. But it turns out that that was the plan all along. And all
0: right, that. right.
1: Very basic instinct, Sharon Stone vibes. This is when the Sharon Stone-ness of it all comes because yes. she's now the potential murderer. In this sequence, That I found that this depiction of female nudity, I don't think we actually see her naked in that scene. We see her naked... In the next scene. In the, in the next scene in the bathtub.
0: When she's in the bathtub. And I did write. <coughs> I was like, shout out to Virginia for having big naturals. <laughs> <laughs> yes. As a girl with voluptuous naturals, I'm like, good for you. No, not this fake tit stuff. Like, good for you. And then she gets out. Especially up.
1: after the 80s, right? Everyone in the 80s. Yeah, right? Um.
0: And so she gets out of the bath, and then she has a bud light and a smoke. And I'm like, good for you. She's dropping the pretension.
1: It was not uh, the exploitation scene with the cop. You don't actually see her, do you, right? Mm-hmm that would have been exploitation as an audience member you would have feel the exploitation you would have mm-hmm. been in the gaze of the cop right mm-hmm. but then they show her in her bathtub with the white milky kind of soapy water right
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then immediately all these things like there is this movie has an obsession with spaces of privacy
2: oh. toilets
1: bathrooms bathtubs they Go back to the beginning of the movie. That's a really interesting
0: observation. The dirty
1: bathtub, the dirty toilet. Remember at one point she flushes the toilet and she has a moment with the toilet? Right. Do you remember that? Yeah. Um, And so, and again, this goes back to the shower scene in Psycho, which was the first movie that depicted a bathroom and a toilet being flushed and all this stuff, like spaces of privacy. Um,
0: No, that's a really good point because you think about... um, I mean the johnny depp trial all these things like people talk about bathrooms being a place of refuge people usually lock themselves in the bathroom um mm-hmm. some people like kill themselves in the bathroom some people need to just have a bath like you're you're totally right about this there's something about seclusion privacy you can be your you can be one's true self in the
2: bathroom
1: in the bathroom yeah and, and again the mm. mirrors the main mirror of this movie is a medicine cabinet in a bathroom over a sink. It equates Candyman appearing, and then she has that moment where she sees him in the slide
2: Mm
1: -hmm. um, where Candyman appears in a place of privacy and it connects to the sexuality, to the romantic, to the self-pleasuring, like all these things kind of come together and the two spaces, the the Cabrini Green apartment and the gentrified white apartment
0: and also if can we talk about her apartment her apartment is messy as hell like i know she's going through something but she also has a husband why the fuck is this apartment so messy <laughs> really bothered me <laughs> she goes through the slides the photos she, she took of life. Candyman's kill room in there. oh and then she um. sees tony todd behind her in a selfie shot and it's a legit selfie shot she's taking a picture of herself with a kodak in the mirror it's like a legit thing um oh, and that's when we get a jump scare. We get a jump scare. She goes to the mirror and the hook flies
1: through. This is that sequence where he appears to her is mm-hmm. your death will be a tale to frighten children. This is also the sequence when Cassie Lemons is knocking at the door and, <laughs> and gets she's
2: killed. such a good
0: friend. She's such <laughs> a good friend slash maybe lover, don't know. But she's checking out her friend who's had like this crazy thing happen to her. And, you know, and she's calling like, Don't, don't. So she's and in Virginia's mindset, she's like, "Don't come in! He's here! He's here!" Bernadette comes in. She did.
2: She's she did. She
0: did. And then loser Trevor comes home and he finds Virginia covered in blood. Once again, she has like a knife in her hand because she was trying to call 911 when all this stuff happened. So we think, like, I mean, that's one perspective.
1: But it's the same thing. She looks. She's get. She gets caught red-handed with a hand. Yeah, like I mean, she's
0: been, been caught one room. times too many with a, a kitchen. Weapon in our Item. hand. Yes. So the crossfades and the transitions of this piece are so beautiful. We have the bees. The bees are interjected onto our screen. We have the Philip Glass music, and then we have the voiceover of poetry talking about the rumor of being a blessed condition. All this stuff and what you were speaking of—the flashes of the police siren light. the
1: flashes light and, like and, and it's like blue and red. It's like. Throwing paint colors at her face. And
0: then the candyman graffiti and her colour. And the in graffiti.
1: Is, is, is that sequence,
0: cut. I, I've never seen anything like it. It's it's and it's, it's fantastic. So beautiful.
1: And I it's one of the things that the new one references a lot, the use of colors and yes. it's kinda of like a diary argento moment. Oh. Where okay. where where the horror becomes a form of art. This is the moment where it kind of matches the backstory where Virginia Massett becomes a work of art. Hmm through the story, becomes a mural, becomes a painting by Candyman in the past, generating the idea that she will become a legend herself because she's now part of a story, a horror story, part of art. And that's why I think the old flashes of light on her face kind of signify it. And then she gets, of course, they commit her. And this is where I saw the, the new Nightmare references because now she's taken into a mental institution and again, Nightmare 2 Three probably more likely because New Nightmare had not come out yet. I actually think Wes Craven loved this part of the movie and used it in his movie, um, where she's like, "No, but there's this killer, and I see him." And oh, then I can he's see like that floating yeah. above her. That whole hovering sequence.
0: Yeah, no, I was just like, "Where have I seen this before?" Like for for a second,
1: It's in New Nightmare. <laughs> you showed me that they paired this at the New Beverly with the people on there, the stairs which was the movie that Wes Craven made right before. Mm. And it was mm. a movie about also black people and like de- dealt with racism and all this stuff. So it's Urban like, horror. Wow, all this yeah. shit, urban horror. All this stuff is kind of connected in that. I think it was, I think people in there says is 91.
0: Virginia's strapped down in the hospital. Tony Todd is hovering over her like this Shakespearean ghost. And I remember he's asking for this exquisite kiss. Every time he says the word exquisite, I'm not much for, uh, what is it? Is it SMR? I'm not much for that. But whenever he, he just enunciates his words and says it so throatily, like I love how he says exquisite. He says it probably three times in this movie. I love how he says it. It's just
2: exquisite.
0: Well, not like that.
2: <laughs> like, I don't know. How no, to I, don't
0: say it. I don't want you to say it. It's Tony <laughs> Todd saying it. So then um, they, they roll her on down the hallway to a therapist. And, um, yes. And he. Sh- and then she. She sees herself on is, tape of like you're delusional, bitch.
1: This is when she realizes again. This is a big moment because again, this supports the story that there is no Candyman. It's and we as Helen. a viewer
0: are like, wow, she's kind of like an evil bitch. Like she's doing this.
1: She's crazy. She's killing people. She's doing all of this.
0: I mean, wouldn't academia and- do this to you, like? <laughs>
1: yes i i'm telling you i saw this movie and then i saw the other one which was more about the art world and i was like oh this is my transition this year i'm going from academia research to filmmaking i'm going from the person who analyzes art i'm going back to the person who makes the art guys if i end up with a meat hook
0: in me Guillermo did it not the white woman
1: Guillermo did it (laughs) so then we have helen meeting with the the therapist, psychiatrist he doesn't therapist. believe her.
0: He's like, here you are on tape, freaking the fuck out, girl. And then. Um,
1: but it's also playing with us as audience. We're like, oh, shit, she did it all. And then Candyman appears and kills him. And it kind of confirms, no, 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 they're wrong. He's really real. We're with Helen.
0: <laughs> well, And, and I right? want to ask you this as a filmmaker. She's just like, so she says she calls upon Candyman. Like, in that moment. Yeah, she she's turns like, to the
1: mirror.
0: Yeah, she turns to the mirror, she says, says his name five times. He um And for me, I took that moment, if we're still on Helen's side, if we're choosing that adventure, is to show that not like, hey, I'm not insane. Is To me, in her head, she's like, oh, you love me so much? I need you to just show up and prove it. So he shows up brutally murders the skeptic and um i wanted to ask you as a filmmaker that visual effect it was so nuts like
1: when he flies out the window
0: yes it 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 looked like okay so listener if you can imagine this he's there he guts the therapist and then it seems as if somebody put a rope around his waist and just flung him backwards through a window like, I was thinking, I mean, we're, we're so conditioned to think about filming things in reverse, there's no way he could have filmed that in reverse.
1: And they probably sped it up, um, but it, yes. That,
0: looked, that was a crazy effect for me. That looked crazy. And
1: one interesting thing about that scene is, be, even though we go, again, back and forth, oh, shit, Helen did it, he doesn't exist. And then Helen mm-hmm. summons him, he kills the guy, so you're like, oh, he exists, she's correct. But then... Here's something interesting. She summons him, but she doesn't get killed. The guy that she wants to get rid of gets killed, which supports the idea that she's the one killing him.
0: (laughs) True. She summons
1: Candyman. Candyman is within her. It's her murderous side. Then she uses it gets very complicated. Then she's really killing the therapist. We're just seeing what she thinks she's seeing. What she thinks is it's within her. That's true. So again.
0: You know me. I love to be a devil's the, advocate, so I'm sitting here trying to think how I can argue against it. And I, that,
1: no, no, because you want you want to believe. If you want to read this movie as Helen being delusional and has created this figure of the Candyman to support her own violent side. But to me, okay, I'm going to
0: argue it. I'm going to argue it. I think what if? I mean, if Candyman does exist, and this is all the epic love story. Maybe she's just like, okay, I'm. I've decided my fate. I'm just going to self-sacrifice. I was never happy in, in my marriage. And, and the next scene kind of proves it. She's just like, oh, okay, my husband wasn't there for me when I was in jail. Candyman showed up and killed this fucker the second that I was doubted. Like, I'm, I'm still reasoning things in her head. This is just me arguing for the sake of arguing. <laughs>
1: no no I, I, and it's very romantic that he's defending her and, and helping her mm-hmm. immediately okay we're gonna cut this out but i gotta say this oh. this is funny
2: okay tell but i'm like it, tell oh it's
1: me. jada pinkett somebody oh! to talk, but it's will <laughs> to defend her honor
0: <laughs> that is so funny <laughs> That is Inexplainable
1: acts. Inexplainable acts
0: wait, okay, okay. Wait, going wait, back. <laughs> wait, okay, wait. I'm gonna I'm gonna refill. I've moved on to Prosecco because that whiskey was too strong and I didn't want to fuck this whole thing up.
1: So then after this does she leave? I can't remember. I have a note here, but it's from the next scene.
0: Well, she goes there and she throws the paint on the wall, which I love it. I love it anytime oh, a yeah. girl <sighs> has a fucking freak out and she throws something at a wall. Guillermo, I've witnessed you throw shit at walls. I love <laughs> a good I bottles
1: of wine at wall. Oh, and yeah. And then... <laughs> the, the, the wall rag, And then you move soon after <laughs>
0: because you were not getting that deposit back because that was a mess like. <laughs> (laughs) I I like throwing paint
1: at a canvas. It's like throwing paint at a canvas. Oh, well,
0: you're making it. You're being. You're making artistic. You're making it. Yes. Great.
1: It is. It is. So is
0: is this her being Um, artistic like Candyman? Because she throws the can of paint at the wall? Okay.
1: Yes, she's starting to get. She's starting. She is Candyman. She's Candyman. I know. Woman, I'm I know. She's Helen. The whole candy movie woman. is telling you. I know that she's Candyman. I know, and I and that's how it ends too. But we'll get there.
0: But okay, so um, she's spooking the hell out of the little girl that can't have a bra but a long sleeve T shirt. So she's finding power too, and that she's also seeing. She's recognizing that her love was never honest or passionate with her husband. And that she also sees that intimidating this little girl, because remember, it's such an uncomfortable shot that the girl is crying. She's so afraid of this girl. Like she's she's so afraid of Virginia Madsen. And we see Virginia get off on that power.
1: She goes to the bridge. I was like, of course, not only is she Madonna and Betty Davis and Bella Lugosi, she's also Kim Novak and Vertigo her hair and everything, the look.
0: So she's just having a multiple um, personality disorder at this exactly, point. But she's exactly. fabulous nonetheless.
1: And then the, I think this is when Candyman appears to her and says to her, it, it's always, you. It's, it was always you. Helen. Yeah. It was always it's you. It's a voiceover. And to me, uh-huh. I interpret that as like, it's just her. There is no Candyman. Yeah. She is, this story, it's this entire movie is her about insanity. her. Um, committing violence and and creating a story to justify her own violence, right? Which is the story of racism. So that's how I read it. My 2020, well, 2022 now lens read it that way. And I think that line struck differently as a result. It's like Candyman is telling her, I'm you, you're me.
0: Virginia Madsen is realizing of like, oh, society has taught me this for so long. Like, it has to be this narrative, has to be this narrative. And then the realization that she's the monster is too much to bear. I have just mm-hmm. like, she could have made different calls. She could have said different things.
1: What's interesting, because I'm also watching this, as I'm watching all these series about white women criminals,
2: <laughs> right? We have,
1: the, we have the dropout. We have the thing about Pam. We have the girl from Plainville.
2: Right.
1: And it's all about these white women manipulating. We have Amber Heard. We have violence committed by white women Mm -hmm. who have also, you know, and women have been victims of sexism and and, and domestic violence for so long. And I think this movie is showing that representing metaphorically that white privilege violence that in this, in this particular movie represented as a white woman, but also reflecting on the, the sexism and the, um, what virginia masson's character is experiencing in her academic world diminished looked down upon she's not good enough by the powerful white men who are kind of in the background of this Mm -hmm. including her husband
0: as a white woman but not as an evil white woman i hope
1: (laughs) but it's like what is this evil white woman thing it was in this movie 30 years ago i know and now everything we're watching is about this Evil Karens.
0: I do know that there is white feminism and black feminism. I cannot imagine being a minority feminist. There, It is, and I think in, in The New Candyman, they explore that.
1: It's what Bell Hooks was talking about when she criticized the male gaze from Laura Mulvey. She mm-hmm. says, what Laura Mulvey is talking about only applies to white women, the male gaze. When it right. comes to a black women, black women are invisible it's a whole other thing. They come in there. They, she called it like the inquisitive or because they're not the object of the male gaze. They're outside of it. They come there and they question and they fight back. They, it, Think of Janet Pinkett in Scream 2. What the fuck is going on here? This white bitch is doing this. You keep dancing around Janet
0: Pinkett and I am not going to (laughs) bite. I am not doing it.
1: (laughs) She just happened to play the role in that movie. But she represents the black female spectator who criticizes the movie loudly at the movie theater in Scream 2. And that's what the Bell Hooks essay is talking about, the black woman, because they're not the object the, of the white male gaze who wants to sexualize them and dominate them. They come into their outside. They're the, they're the person criticizing and commenting and talking back. Right. And so that's what she theorized in her essay. It's the reason I bring up Jada Pinkett and Scream 2 because it's put into a movie by Wes Craven so beautifully. Because she's talking back to the movie where you see Heather Graham as Drew Barrymore doing her thing. And she's criticizing the choices of the white woman on screen that gets her in peril. All I was trying to get at from that long conversation was that Mm -hmm. they're in, in the... Movie viewing experience of minorities were not represented in horror films like me. Like, I'm listening, you know, I'm growing right. up, right. or you're black before Jordan Peele and all that. You are always connecting with the victim because we're victimized in our, through racism and opportunities. And so, our society mm-hmm. is so racist that when we go to a horror movie, become horror movie fanatics, we're connecting with the white woman who is victimized and then fights back. as the the evolution of the genre happens. Mm. So all of us minorities, we're all Laurie Strohs. We're all, we want to be badasses. We want to be, you know, Sigourney Weaver and aliens. The figure of the white woman fighting back is very important to us as viewers, as growing up, because that's all we had, Right. right? And then eventually, Candyman 2021 can have actual Black people represent themselves.
0: She's contemplating suicide, and there's a voiceover that's like, They've all abandoned you. All you have left is my desire for you. I mean, he's not gaslighting. He's telling her the truth. But this could be read as her inner monologue because she's actually the monster. But um, we at that moment, her character becomes the willing victim. She's like, okay, I'm going to either A, like choose your own adventure, be the savior, or I am, yeah, I'm going to be the savior and I'm also leaving this life. Everything I knew before, is wrong. So I'm ending that. So I wrote my notes. Uh, she's wearing an Iron Lady suit. <laughs> she's just like Margaret Thatcher'd up. And I was like, Oh,
1: but this is, this is also the Kim Novak look. Yeah. From she's like, yeah. just like
0: head to toe in this little blue dress suit. So you thought Kim Novak. I just went totally Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> I'm like evil, I mean,
1: still- evil white lady. <laughs> um, and so... so- When does she have the hook in her hand? Is it I remember seeing it when she's climbing on the It's around this time. She goes to
0: his lair. She's she goes to the projects and she's like, I'm gonna sacrifice uh, I'm gonna replace the baby with myself. I'm gonna be the self-sacrifice. So she has the hook. I remember rewinding it to be like or skipping back in these times, skipping back. She just has the hook in her hand and she's like climbing up through the heaps. And that's when she sees the mural of the candyman's lynching. So she just had this hook all of a sudden. I that that's I, I'm with you on that. It, it just and again, I to think, appear. Which she could have been the monster the entire time. So it's already, you know, it's there.
1: But here's two double edged sword. So I go, Oh my gosh, she is Candyman, she's the perpetrator, but also because she sees the mural of the lynching. And she's about to be burned at the stake, like the witches were. She is also the victim, just like he is. So, just as much as we have thought him, oh god, the murderer, now you're special in story. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yes, and now, but she's also the misunderstood victim. Mm-hmm. And again, this could whole movie could be just a very complex representation of power dynamics and mental Ill- illness, mm-hmm. ableism, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. And so I literally wrote this final fire sequence is insane because (laughs) (laughs) we have a a connection between the lynching and the burning. She is not just the perpetrator as we have thought Candyman to be, but she's also a victim the way Candyman was when he was lynched. So Helen Burns saves the baby. Says baby Anthony gives, her, gives him back to um, Anne-Marie oh, before her hair. Whoa,
0: whoa, Gee. Wait. No, 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 no. <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> what did I skip? What did I you skip? You
0: skipped the beautiful. He's sleeping on the slab.
2: T- oh, yeah, Tony Todd
0: is asleep on the slab, and she has the meat hook. And then she stabs him with it
1: she becomes, they've switched roles, right? Yes. So.
0: so she stabs him. He wakes up and he's not even like pissed. Like I, I get annoyed if Jack wakes me up before a decent time. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, no, he's stabbed. And he's kind of like, oh, my sweet. I'm like, oh, that is not a usual reaction. Um, so she reminds him like, oh, we have a deal. My life for the kid. And that's when that beautiful camera spin the Carrie camera spin happens and that's like mm-hmm. the ballroom dancing thing. Remember like Tony Todd and yes, and, Virginia and this
1: is the vertigo moment. Yes, the, the vertigo. vertigo.
0: And he takes her into his arms and like it's kind of like a little horny scene. I mean, he puts her hook up her dress a little bit like, Hey, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a different moment in this movie. We're like, what's happening? Um, and then here come the bees. The Beast.
1: The Beast. Nicholas Cage. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote that down. I'm Wicker like, the bees, Man was.
0: So <laughs> he opens the coat, and that's when we say, "Do you remember as a kid? Like there were so many rumors of what's under Jason's mask? There's worms. There's bugs. Like we, the weirdo kids that I ran with. We, we were just you know." hypothesizing what grossness was under Jason Voorhees's mask. And here, Candyman is just like, here I am, bitches. Opens up his fabulous coat, and we see the skeleton and the bees and some carnage. And then he has his mouth full of bees. And of course, if you're a Candyman fan, you know about the bees. These are real deal
2: bees.
0: And apparently Mm, they were harvested specifically for this film. So they could be in their prime. Um, Or or I think they were aged just enough so that whenever they stung him, it wouldn't be as impactful. And also that they would look really nice on film. But they were bred just for this film. So in his contract, um, it's like, we're going to use real bees. But if they sting me, I get $1,000 per sting. And over the course of three films, he got $28,000. Just so
1: you know. Wow. Been, so 28 bee stings.
0: 28 bee stings. And he had a mouth full of bees. And he goes towards her and he kisses her. And she has bees all over her face. I'm like, what is her bee contract? Because, I mean, this is her face. She can swell up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Where is Virginia Madsen's bee contract? I, we need to know. <laughs>
0: I want to know. I, I have
1: to
2: know.
0: And you know in that moment, I remember as a, a teenager in the theater going like, I will never see anything like this. This is just crazy if i saw this, with, this is,
1: there's no cgi no cgi real bees no
0: muppet bees no, no bees. cute little bumblebees like floating around singing a song these are they're just crawling over each other but they're still acting their faces off they are in this entwined poetic moment and yeah so then she sees in the graffiti after that moment like they make out with their their bees and it says um, the mural on the wall is just like, it was always you, Helen, to your reveal, to what you're saying of like, it's always you. You're the fucking murderer. And she found herself in the mural. She sees herself in the graffiti. And then we hear the baby crying. And now we can go to the rubbish pile.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and she goes to the pile. Um, and, you know, the, he uses the hook. For good, right? Because she she picks up the hook.
0: Yeah, she's lifting and she, herself this up. This the how hook. she <laughs>
1: she she how she gets through it to find the baby, bring him out. She's burning; it's this whole struggle, and gets the baby out just in time before her head burns. And again, this brings me some Freddie imagery. She's burning like sure. Freddie, and the backstory of Freddie and all mm-hmm. that—how mm-hmm. Freddie became Freddie, right? Mm-hmm. And so she, as she burns and gives the baby up, she becomes the new legend she's the new myth mm-hmm. because she's a person who saved the baby and sacrificed herself
0: yeah because like you know community. in the meantime tony todd is screaming like we'll be together and she's like nah i don't want this but she's being self-sacrificial if we're going with the narrative that you're saying of just like you know she wants to spin her own story of just like it's me for the baby so i gotta go in here and like throw. So she the- re-
1: this is interesting she replaces him as yes. the urban legend yes Right? Because she becomes Helen, Helen, Helen. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say it five times. Um, so she... The sister, then does she kill him by replacing him? Because he's no longer in people's mouths. She is. Mm-hmm. Right? And then we have, of course, the funeral. Could this be an allegory
0: for Kanye West and Kim Kardashian? <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> People were all about Kanye a really long time ago. And now he's, he's nothing. Nothing dropped out of coachella it's all about cam and pete
1: so in the funeral which is a sequence i didn't remember and she they she looks like mitsamar flowers on her no hair yeah um and
0: like she's a hot mess
1: they have all the academics of the funeral and then the black community and marie and her people show up oh yeah because she's become their savior
2: Mm -hmm. so when you
1: think of the white woman savior shrub this is a little representation of that she's a white woman who saved the baby Mm -hmm. and completely eliminates Candyman from people's oral storytelling consciousness, legend, whatever Mm -hmm. you want to call it so they come to throw respects and they throw the hook in and this is again the completion of the story she is Candyman Mm -hmm. but the hook and what she did is seen as something done for good so she's venerated as a Christ figure, because of her help, right? So to speak. Well, yeah, no, but this I, is problematic, I, right? Well, no, I agree, um, but it's
0: also to the point of like she could be the danger or she could be the savior, quote unquote. Because I, mm-hmm. when they threw in the hook of like, hey, it's done, it's over, it could be construed as one or the other. But Vanessa Williams's performance—I just want to really focus on that really quickly. She's there holding the baby, and it's such a well-directed and well-acted performance of where she looks down at the casket and it's, her look is one of respect. It's not solveness. Mm-hmm. It's not despair. It's, it's just, it's just this quiet. You showed up for me. I showed up for you. This is what's up. It's, it's just like a mutual respect situation, which is, and a,
1: think about it.
0: Taken down. This the was the like woman
1: now. who attacked her with a meat cleaver. Yes. 90 minutes earlier. Yes. <laughs> so, how far we've come in this story. Mm-hmm. So, this is a person who she thought was attacking her and had taken her baby away.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's also the person who saved her baby. But then, if we interpret this movie as all being Helen, she's the one who kidnapped the baby and she brings it back. <laughs> so, it's all very like, right? That she orchestrated the entire...
0: Well, she could have manipulated the the storyline. She could have manipulated if we the, see it as... Helen being the mythical or like not being the mythical if we see it as Helen being the maniacal figure this entire time and she had drudged up this narrative about Candyman she still presented herself as a savior and I saved your baby
1: if she's the one who took the baby to begin with we go with that interpretation her saving the baby is just her Bring Maybe back. coming, coming to Jesus, a okay. come to
0: Jesus moment of just like, hey, before I set myself ablaze, like before I end my own shitty life, I realize what I did was wrong. Here's your baby. You didn't do anything to me, and it could be a respect of like being a, you know. A human of just like, hey, you didn't have to save correcting, my child. Correcting but what you... Yeah, you, you did something <coughs> fucked up and you corrected it before you died. and I hope you rot in hell. Like that that could have been that look too.
1: And of course, Helen becomes the mural. She's now the legend. She's now the graffiti. She's now the painting on the yes. wall.
0: We think that we're ending on that. It's the, the mural on the wall. It's Helen and her beautiful eyes and... Her Betty
1: Davis eyes, (laughs) Bella Lugosi eyes, (laughs) Madonna in like a prayer video
2: eyes.
0: But then we also go to um, uh, the final shot in her old apartment that is now pink with shit show Trevor.
1: Oh, yes. And the neon phone, which was a crime (laughs) in itself. (laughs) And the see-through boobs of his new lover. Actually this haven't. is when we see the boobs, right? Isn't this when we see the boobs? Oh, the, it, the
0: boobs are again. Yeah, she's they're wearing the same long sleeve shirt and her fucking no bra. Like, oh my, it just drives me crazy. So she's in the pink apartment with the neon phone and Trevor. is actually a hilarious shot for the end of the movie. Like, Trevor is such a piece of shit. He's so bored with with the new piece, and he's in the bathroom and he's like, Helen, Helen. I'm not gonna say it three more times, but. Um, <laughs> And then she comes with her Freddy Krueger burn cap on and murs the shit out of him, <laughs> slashes him up. And we're kind of like, as an audience member, we're kind of like, ah, he had it coming, right? Did you not feel sad for him? I didn't feel sad for no,
1: him. No, 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 no. You, you, you feel it's her revenge it's interesting because he realizes that he loved her after he treated her so poorly or didn't help her well so he was speak.
0: bored she was more of his his plaything as opposed to like oh i'm so invested in this person he didn't give a shit about her thesis or her going ons. like she wasn't he there wanted to... To,
1: he wanted someone to control to right. be like oh i'm your mentor but she took her own life of her own as in her own research so to speak he was not interested but then he at the end he becomes he's pining for her because she's gone but the irony is that she's the one coming through the medicine cabinet which is the one thing when you hear the beginning of the movie okay but i'm telling you i have this interpretation because she's the one explaining all of this the beginning about the medicine cabinet, how you push through it and that's how the murder got committed all this stuff it's almost these are her ideas. Then she become she, kind of what's the word? She puts her actions where her mouth is. At the end of the movie, she's doing all her ideas. I, to me, I just got this. This is all her. There is no Candyman. So it's all her creation. It's like she manifests herself into her own urban legend because she loves the power that that gives, and that power allows her to have her revenge on her board
0: by this theory Husband. what was her psychotic <laughs> break what was her psychotic break it had to be the first 10 minutes of the movie it oh was- and
1: at the dinner at the, at the horrible dinner, academic dinner the asshole dinner when she hears the power that this story has over the stuffy academy she's like that's a power i want to have she wants to be Candyman, she chooses to be Candyman, so then she can actually have the power that she doesn't have as a woman in her academic world and that's why she's, she's doing this, that's why she's doing this research it's because she wants to have the power that these men have and she wants to surpass them and by the end of the movie she has the, the ex-husband or whatever is pining for her and she control. she has more power than him she succeeds in a way she gets what she wanted.
0: I love doing this podcast with you. I think that's (laughs) fascinating. I absolutely find that fascinating. Um, Listeners. So this is where we could wrap it up, but we're going to move on. We're not going to do it as in depth, but we're going to like briefly talk about the sequels. And then we're going to go to 2021. Um, I swear to you it's not gonna be like an hour. Just just hang in there. If you if you've seen all of these things you wanna hang around, do it. Gee. Candyman two, Candyman three. Breeze over it and let's okay. go to 2021. <laughs>
1: so Candyman 2, which is called Candyman, Farewell to the Flesh, but it's directed by Bill, Con- very young Bill Condon. And where do Warren, we know Bill direct. Condon from? So this- he won an Oscar and wrote Gods and Monsters, which is based on James Whale, the director of Frankenstein mm. um, and who was gay in his pining love for his lawnmower man. Candyman, Farewell to the Flesh, right? Mm-hmm. It was his first movie and that's the one that takes place in New Orleans and gives up uh, Candyman the name of Daniel Propiteau. Yes. Um and it's, you know, it's an okay sequel. It's it's but it's definitely following the slasher genre more it's than that. it's not as deep. He's about. at this point, he's just chasing around movie.
0: white ladies. It's like fine.
1: Exactly. And then there's a third movie called Candyman Day of the Dead.
0: Which Tony Chad has been on record saying that was a money grab.
1: But it has the unique feature that it takes place in 2020. Oh. So the movie, even though it was made in 1999, is set 25 years later after Candyman 2, which was 1995, mm-hmm. which connects us to the present moment, which is when the new Candyman was made. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was released in 2021, but it was supposed to be released in 2020. Because Jordan Peele and Nita Costa really wanted to do that like, oh, this is the actual 2020 version of Candyman, not Candyman 3. So Candyman 2021 is Ooh, what we yes. now call a requel, which is something that the new Scream movie has a requel. A requel. This okay. is the brilliance of the new Scream, what they call sequels that eliminate the other. So it's a new sequel usually named, by the title of the original movie, like Halloween 2018.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's a sequel to the original only, right? So it, it's like a requel, like a new sequel. and eliminates all the other sequels, and it elevates and connects to the original story. So Candyman 2021, as a good requel, it completely ignores Candyman 2 and 3 and connects only back to the original. So it's
0: fair that a viewer could do a back-to-back of Candyman... Ninety two and, Kenny- and, and Candyman twenty twenty one. And forget the okay. sequels,
1: right? And so how do they do this, Candyman twenty twenty one? Well immediately it all starts in mirrored image. So the opening of the movie much the like logos the first in reverse. One. Mm-hmm. And then instead of overhead um Helicopter shots. We have these like shots that are looking up to the Chicago buildings, right? Yeah, that was and a then, cool shot. Oh.
2: Yeah.
1: So originally, Jordan Peele intended to
2: mm-hmm.
1: write and direct this movie, and then he brought Mia De Costa in, which I think was great, and because mm-hmm. I think she. So now we have this a is the,
0: feminist black perspective.
1: The oh. original movie focused on the white female gaze and played with that idea. This one brings in the female the black female spectator mm-hmm. not only in the director's eye but also in the character of brianna which we'll get into um so the movie opens in 1977 the year i was born in cabrini green and it depicts kind of like a real Candyman, right this is where the whole candy wrap with the razors. Well, right. And, and they have the Samuel,
0: uh, the Sammy Davis version of Candyman playing. And it's very yes. warbly and yeah, it's it's a little spooky already.
1: So then it jumps to 2019, right? So it goes from 1977 to 2019, Cabrini Green. And we meet the gay couple, which is the brother of Brianna, who we'll meet later. They're walking over to meet the sister. Mm-hmm. And the the white gay man in the couple is named Clive, which is an homage to Clive Barker. The main character of this movie is the baby from the original movie, Grown Up. So Anthony, baby Anthony, I thought that was supposed to be a reveal. <laughs> huh? That's
0: that's a reveal.
1: Oh, yeah, but I mean, I mean we know. I mean, so do you think that works? Oh, that's an interesting question. I knew going into the I was the baby. I oh, didn't know. This is where what a, how a requel works. In a okay. requel, you can watch also the new movie without watching the original because it'll explain the original to you, mm-hmm. which they do with the, what do you call those, the cutouts.
0: So the little boy in the beginning, it opens with a little boy in the projects of Cabrini Green, and he's mm-hmm. playing with shadow puppets whole yes. shadow puppet situation. So
2: shadow he, puppets. That's not shadow. the
0: word I was looking for. <laughs> so he's playing with his shadow puppets and he's doing like this, what we are very aware of today, of like cops being like, hands in the air, hands in the air. Like it's pretty much very accurate of what we see on the news. And this little boy is playing with these artistic puppets doing this. And so he goes by cops. The cops are showing him a like a thing of like, hey, have you seen this, this guy? And he just like stares at him. Goes on to do his laundry and the projects, and then he sees a version of the Candyman, and he starts screaming. And then we get to um, the openly gay biracial couple,
1: and they go visit um, the sister, right? Yeah. And this is Brianna and, guess, and the artist. Brianna and the artist Anthony. You see, if you're so, this is where the requel works. Requel works where if you've never seen the original, you can just watch this movie and this movie will explain to you yeah. the from the original. It's
0: a good standalone so, for sure.
1: But if you've seen the original, at least the way I saw it, when his name was revealed as Anthony, I'm like, Oh, this is baby Anthony grown up.
2: Oh. <laughs> Even
1: though that slowly gets revealed with the mother and the mother gets delayed. So you get to see Vanessa Williams who looks exactly the same. Oh my
2: God. 30 years the later. Same. <laughs>
1: it's like, it's like, what? So Anthony McCoy, who's and also the name—if you remember the name for the original, his name is Anthony McCoy. You know, Anne Marie McCoy and Baby Anthony. Like you, you can make the connection, but maybe you don't. You're like, okay, mm-hmm. let's go with it. Mm-hmm. But his character mirrors Helen, so he's an artist like Candyman, but he's also taking photographs, and so he kind of represents both of them, but. what I found interesting is that he's doing research he goes to the Cabrini, which now the buildings are not there anymore. They've been gentrified into where the sister lives. It's just the other part, the little houses or whatever, Mm -hmm. the remainder. Mm -hmm. And so he is researching for art as opposed to for academia. So he's still doing research with the photographs, Mm -hmm. but it's because he has this new idea for this new collection of paintings that he's gonna do and so forth. So he represents Candyman, is that he's the artist and he's being inspired, but he also represents Helen because he's doing research for his art.
0: And to go to Nia DaCosta's POV, where she's flipping everything on its head from the opening shot, this is flipping on, on its head.
1: And of course, his art piece is called "Say My Name," and this is connected to police brutality, to George mm-hmm. Floyd, to Brianna Taylor. Mm-hmm. And again, I read that her name, the girlfriend's name, being Brianna, was a complete coincidence. Which that's crazy
0: like, to me. I, I really thought it was purposeful.
1: And one interesting thing about this movie was the remember when he op- he so he finally creates his piece, which is really cool with the you know with the medicine cabinet, and you open it, you see the artwork, and mm-hmm. again. Is commenting on the original movie she dismisses his piece as just being another artist moving into the kind of before gentrification happens like people moving into detroit people moving to berlin artists go to live in the cheaper part of town and they turn it into an artist community Mm -hmm. so she kind of dismisses his entire experience as a black man oh yeah she decimates
0: him in a second yeah
1: but here's a part that I found interesting to me. She, the, the actress playing the critic, looks just like Virginia Madsen.
0: Oh yeah, no, that had to be a purposeful um, uh, casting choice. And I think it was. Yeah.
1: And again, brings up all these ideas of like the white woman who is like, oh, I'm trying to encapsulate mm-hmm. this experience and not really understanding it and kind of
2: mm-hmm.
1: violating it in some way. So. And I remember knowing that Virginia Messon was somehow involved in this movie. She was in the original script, so they ended up doing just the voice. So it's her voice. She recorded all those news. She's in the movie, but she's just just, just the, her.
0: the recorder. Hmm. The
1: recordings, yeah. And, and
0: once again, that echoes um, the Candyman oratory folk
1: She's Diane from Twin Peaks. <laughs> um, but nobody. So it was a choice. So she was totally involved in the movie and was willing to be in the movie and In some early version of the script, she was going to physically appear. And then they decided that doing the the voice thing was more interesting. Ah, Between recording,
0: like doing a voiceover versus showing up. Come on. (laughs) She could be in her house (laughs) and sweats and make her money. (laughs) Do it, Virginia.
1: (laughs) And She's credited. She gets the full credit. But the gallery murders, when the the gallery owner or manager, whatever he was, And his girlfriend get killed. Mm -hmm. Again, Dario Argento sequence. Beautiful colors and this like art gallery. Yeah,
0: it was very Dario. Yeah, I agree with that.
1: And it has a giallo feel. And I just thought it connected to the flashes of light in the original movie because he uses the same colors. Uh (laughs) And one question that came up that I want to ask you is... The difference in the depiction of violence between both movies. Mm -hmm. How the murders are done. I thought in this movie you don't the movie does this weird thing where you don't see Candyman and the violence is almost off screen but artistic whereas in the other one it's very in your face. right? You you always... and you hear the sound remember the original the sound the cracking of the thing yeah 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 and in this one there's this whole weird thing where like oh he's like a supernatural
0: force like you see these bodies being lifted and then they're like grotesquely mutilated yeah
1: exactly and again it's like i think one is the original movie is like obsession with true crime materials like pictures from a crime scene and this one is about the art
2: hmm. so
1: all of this all of the death scenes including this one that takes place literally in an art gallery and it involves the actual art piece about candy man mm-hmm. and the mirror and all that
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's like a work it's like an argento sequence a work of art right it's not just like a horrific sequence it's also beautiful and it's dance and its thing yes
0: it right? is and at first it does not end up that way though no, no, no. I, at the but end it's, it's, i'm like oh <laughs> we get to cronenberg territory so
1: i was gonna say that the movie kind of equates going back to that anthony's artistic ambitions with helen's academic ambitions remember when the when he's watching the news about the gallery murders and mm-hmm. they mention his piece and they say my name mm-hmm. He seems very much excited that he's famous.
0: Yeah. He's, he's like, recognized. oh, they said my name. They said my name. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: And so that reminded me of Helen's academic ambitions with her project.
0: And the 2021 Candyman movie. The tale of Candyman is not told immediately. It's we start mm-hmm. off with Helen. So kind of like where we left off of Joker husband being like, Helen, Helen. Ah. We have um, the interracial gay couple. Um, one being extra, like somebody I know who likes to be dramatic about things and telling stories. He like just dims the lights and sets candles. <laughs> <laughs> and he's bitchy about wine. Just saying. <laughs> I know somebody like this. So, um, <laughs> so he goes into the tale of Helen. Does not even care about Candyman goes into helen and that's, that's true and that's when we get to the art installation and the trevor of this story is the art installation guy and he's like brutally murdered and we don't give a shit he's like whatever with the say my name thing um
1: oh yeah. with his new girl with his girlfriend yeah, yeah. it's with, totally a mirror of the ending it's yeah. a
0: mirror of that and also when um these stories are told throughout the movie from helen to Candyman towards the end um the urban legend instead of just being completely oratory to what you're saying is all about the art um that's when the use of shadow puppets which was used briefly in bram stoker's dracula those Mm -hmm. shadow puppets Mm -hmm. come to light and i'm like yes like everything's referencing like you go down this metaverse it's crazy
1: and it's also i mean the the just to jump ahead but the the credit sequence of the, end of the movie tells the story of all the different black men who have been lynched yes b- victims of police brutality so one interesting shift that to me happens in the movie is when it switches switches to the the perspective to the to brianna's dream remember mm-hmm. when she's in the apartment
2: mm-hmm. and she
1: has a dream about Candyman? Mm-hmm. so up until this point And this is one of those surprising shifts that happen in the original movie in different ways. We've been following Anthony and his art and all that. And Mm -hmm. then she's been kind of like his girlfriend. And then, but in this moment, I think the movie switches perspectives to her. And remember, this is when she tries to get into the bathroom and he pushes her away. Right. And so I thought this was a fascinating, usually unusual for a movie where you switch, you almost get a secondary protagonist in her. And then you later on in the movie you start seeing her backstory and how her, her dad was an artist and committed suicide and all that. Mm-hmm. So the 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 narrative s- splits between two main characters, yeah. I mean, there are a couple. I-,
0: I loved her her arc, and I loved the storytelling with it because, like, immediately I'm just like, oh, she has mentally ill parents. She's not a fucking psycho. She could be, but she's not. And I myself, with having that kind of um, background. And it's not demonized. I empathized with that character for sure. I really thought that was a strong and bold character choice for writing.
1: She's also the, the she's the one who says nope when she's not going go to <laughs> the basement later on. Nope. Oh, uh, I mean, the basis for Jordan Peele's new movie. Um, then we have this awesome elevator sequence where Anthony's in the elevator and he hears the thing and he gets the candy with the thing inside of it mm-hmm. and it's to me it's just such a cool 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 sequence and then we have another dinner right?
2: i put, I put down talk- repeat
0: oh. asshole academia dinner the feeling of always having to prove yourself either you're an academic or you're an artist or you're a freelancer you always have to answer to somebody even if it's yourself there's this bar that we all put pressure upon ourselves to reach and so this dinner is another manifestation of that
1: then we have a crazy sequence, which is when Virginia Masson's dead ringer critic
2: <laughs> um
1: invites Anthony and she's did you i don't know if you noticed but Fiona Apple's Shamaica is playing in the background oh her no song about her black, Oh. black. Yes.
0: I did not notice that.
1: I noticed that. I was like, oh, shit.
0: So pretty much Um, Fiona Apple was just like, oh, Shemekha kind of believed in her. So she was like talking about that. And then Shemekha wrote her own song. Yes. And they're pen it through lyrics in their own songs exactly and they're not exactly. they're not rap battling it they're not doing like monica and brandy the boy is mine they're actually like supporting each other and to, but it's still a white woman and a, a black woman
1: and a black woman and so it goes yeah. to the themes of the of both movies mm-hmm. right so there's a white woman who is highlighting a black woman in her song and so this is what the virginia massing critic is listening to which again layers of meaning right there. Mm-hmm. Just from that reference. And this is the, the the sequence that precedes her death. So this is when Anthony goes and sees Candy and he's Candyman in the mirror
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then leaves. And then she die. we see her die and the camera pulls away and you just see her kind of flying. It's like this really creepy in you know, the building shot, and then she's like murdered, very tiny
2: mm-hmm. in
1: the background. Mm-hmm. And that same sequence we have Anthony realizing that he's a Candyman or he's Candyman. He's looking at the Sammy Davis Jr. Candyman from, from the beginning of the movie uh, yeah. in a mirror. That was right? a
0: really, really cool sequence. He goes to the mirror... Mm-hmm. And, yeah, he sees the, the actor just being, like, the deformed Candyman. Yeah, the one that's, like, giving the razors and the candy, whatever that urban legend was. Like, we don't care. But he sees himself in that figure. He's, like, doing the mirror actor act- technique, like, raising the arm. The other guy raises the arm. It's a meat
2: hook. Ah!
1: And then he leaves. hmm But Candyman, in the faraway shot, kills the critic. Yes. So who
2: <laughs>
1: is that? The invisible Candyman, right? Yeah. Um, and so... I, I That was one of the images that really stood with me after this movie. The fact that she decides to pull away Nia as a director from mm-hmm. the violence. But also, you might not even notice that it happened. You're just looking at a building. It's yeah. so tiny. Then we have the laundromat where the guy who tells the story about <gasps>
0: oh, this OG Candyman. <laughs> my favorite sequence of the entire thing. So... The man who who tells the story, he is an award-winning theater actor. His name is Coleman Domingo. Mm-hmm. Um, he's orating the story, going back to the Candyman origins. Um, like he's he's just so impressive. So he performs the monologue in this compelling way. He just you just want to listen to him. But you see the shadow puppets again, doing their their things. And I gotta say, with the the lines of dialogue. He kind of, he doesn't throw them away. He just says them so naturally that you have to pause on them. I rewound, I keep saying rewound. I'm so a product of my generation. I skipped (laughs) back 10 to 15 seconds.
1: It is still rewinding. Be kind, rewind. The 80s will never die. Blockbuster, (laughs) what's up? I love that his character, who is, he's the little kid at the beginning of the movie, grown up. Yeah. And remember in in the original sequence when he meets, Sammy Davis Jr. Candyman, who we just saw in the mirror. (laughs) He's doing his laundry, and then in the future, he owns a laundromat. And I thought it was such an interesting thing.
0: Right? (laughs) He just got so good at it. (laughs) Like, he just stuck with what he knew. But um, he has this line, and he says, Candyman and he is the whole damn hive. It goes to... The Frankenstein's monster of society created candyman. And there's not just one candyman, there's candy men. So there have been multiple men lynched throughout history that we have to speak about. We have to talk about these atrocities and the injustices.
1: This is where it connects to the present moment because the candy men are George Floyd, Trevor Martin, Mm -hmm. like all these names of all these people who have been victims of police brutality. Like You can go all the way back to- Just
0: walls, the murals on Fairfax. Like there are just lines and lines and lines of names of just like, they're just not numbers or statistics. These are people.
1: Then we have the racist girls in the bathroom.
0: Oh, I <laughs> took that as white feminism. Like the the, the little yeah. jawbreaker moment. I took that as yes. white feminism, yeah.
1: So then we have this scene with Vanessa Williams where <gasps> we finally got revealed that Anthony is Anthony.
0: I clapped. Baby Anthony. I clapped.
1: Um, And first of all, Vanessa Williams looks Younger than she did thirty years not ago, fair. and she has the iconic reaction when he's like, <gasps> "We she's don't like, say mm, that name." Uh, mm-mm.
0: Mm-mm. Nope, nope. <laughs> Hush your mouth.
1: I think then late after that we have the see where Brianna goes to the laundromat. She wants to talk to awesome Coleman guy, and then at the end it becomes her story when she's trying to figure out what's going on with her boyfriend and whether he's going to become candyman or not. And she's kind of following him around, and she finds out that Domingo Coleman is doing all of this on purpose and has him hostage at that church. Mm -hmm. Right. That he, that we saw earlier at the beginning of the movie. And she, he, he, this, could Coleman wants to make him into the new Candyman and puts the thing on him and Mm -hmm. wants him to become a figure. Puts him in his fabulous
0: coat. He's like, here you go.
1: So that the perspective towards the end of the movie switches once Baby Anthony finds out who he is mm-hmm. from Mama Vanessa Williams looking fabulous,
2: mm-hmm.
1: then he kind of goes into his downward spiral of becoming Candyman. But we find out that it is Domingo Coleman who's doing all of this. He wants the artist to become Candyman because he's he wants gaslighting to be a him. figure. They need to create a new Candyman every generation to remind everyone of all the history of the Candymans, mm-hmm. all the history of people who were, you know, all those other names, and then Brianna kind of realizes this is happening and kind of says, No, this is fucked up and wrong, whatever. And she's the one who kills him at the end. He tries to attack her because she's getting in the way. So, again, the black woman's inquisitive questioning about what the fuck are you doing? This all sounds great. You're trying to bring back history and keep the idea of Candyman alive because we need Candyman to keep telling the story of our own um, oppression. But this is fucked up. And so she's the one who kills him at the end as she gets arrested.
0: And it's, it's very Cronenberg. It's too body horror for me. I do not like body horror. <laughs> I like some gnarly shit, but it's just like, oh, he's just like standing there numbed out. She's just like stabbing, 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 stabbing for the fear of her own life. And we as a society watching this in 2021, 2022, it's a beautiful callback to the transitions that we were just talking about in the OG Candyman with the blue lights flashing. So we see the the wall and the blue sirens on the wall and we hear gunshots. I Mm -hmm. immediately jump to, oh, she's dead. And then the cam pans back to her and she's checking herself to see if she's shot. I'm like, oh shit, she's okay, she's okay. Like for me myself, I I was just like, I'm surprised as an audience member, like the black girl gets to live, like crazy. So then we look back at the wall and it's a silhouette. I'm like, oh, is Candyman here? Is he saving the day? We just look at that silhouette and we resonate and we all have like a minute to kind of catch our breath and go, oh, she's alive, good for her. So then she gets to the cops, the cops that could not Mm -hmm. care less. Um, And the police suggest the story that she should spin, like whether she's the victim or an accomplice, all of that. And the thing that kills me, it's a callback to Virginia being in the mental ward and being wheeled down to the therapist. (laughs) Yes.
1: That's exactly what I was, yes.
0: She's like, hey, Mr. Police Officer, I'll tell you whatever you want. Just put the mirror towards me. Can I see myself? Can I see myself? It's like, whatever. So she does it. And when she says Candyman five times, I'm like, she would rather call upon Candyman than trust the justice system.
1: In the original, it's about her not trusting the the whole, like, you know, crazy women get put into mental institutions not trusting the mental health care system. She summons Candyman because, again, like you said, she doesn't trust the cop. And she'd rather trust her own instinct almost. And, again, you can connect to what happens in the original movie as being her calling the Candyman. is her own sense of survival, right? And that's how she gets out. And it's the same thing, right? So the Candyman shows up, which is... Anthony Candyman mm-hmm. and kills the cops and saves her. And since so she, she's the guy, other oh, guy runs away, I think, right at the end. Oh, and yeah, so everybody runs. The car. <laughs> um, and then at the very end, when she's walking away, is when we see OG Candyman and <gasps> his cameo.
0: Oh, I got chills. Tony Todd. He hovers down <laughs> <Pierce>. covered in <laughs> bees, and I had not read a thing, so when I saw him, I'm like, ah, you're here. Like, he is here. the bees clear um, his face and he says tell everyone
1: to me it's so powerful that last line so good is, tell everyone
0: tell everyone <laughs> I think by the whiskey she... and my Prosecco my, my Tony Todd voice is coming in tell everyone <laughs> <laughs>
2: tell everyone
1: and I think that the movie concludes that like you have to tell the truth about what happened in that incident right because the, the cops killed Candyman or her boyfriend, and she's the only witness.
0: Well, also going to the power of cell phones. Like cell phones are not a storytelling device in movies, like Tarantino famously projected of just like, oh, then the story would be over. But in legal matters, we are now trained as a society not to believe the justice system. So we're like, fuck, we gotta whip out our phone. Like we are our own news source. And so we have to share this.
1: Then the movie ends with that credit sequence when you see in the puppet shadow puppets all of the stories of all the lynchings and all the police like they tell all the stories because that is
0: something in history that we have brushed over we really have and i know there's a lot of states i mean hello you work (laughs) you you used to work in a university that did not enjoy critical race theory next week (laughs) yeah so i mean it just goes to show we really do whitewash over history i mean i will say this again and again i had a georgia history book in elementary school where they referred to slaves as helpers helpers so i think this is a very powerful message I love what she did. I think it was a wonderful spin. The OG Candyman, there's just like a magic. This one, the 2021, pretty fucking good.
1: It's like the Candyman are Hard Candy. (laughs) You got to swallow that hard to understand the
2: truth.
0: I'm not even going to go into swallowing in (laughs) Candyman. I'm not. All right. So guys, thanks for hanging in there. And with that, sweets unto the sweet. Right, is that what he says?
1: Sweet. (laughs) (laughs) I think so. Sweet unto the
2: sweet.
0: Salty unto the salty. I'm more of a salty girl.